Welcome to the Marriage Steps podcast where developing a long-lasting, happy relationship is the status symbol to achieve. And following my six marriage steps is a path to help get you there. I'm your host, Dr. Wyatt Fisher, a licensed psychologist specializing in marriage counseling. The Marriage Steps podcast is listener supported, so to help keep it on the air so couples worldwide can receive hope for their marriage, please consider becoming a monthly supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash marriage steps. Today's a special day. We have Ryan Frederick from Fierce Marriage with us for a marriage interview. Um, so I'm curious to pick Ryan's brain just to hear how he views marriage, his own personal experience with marriage. So I'm sure we're in for a treat because I think he's going to have a lot to share. Um, so we're going to just get right to it. So welcome, Ryan, to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for letting me come on here. This is a, this is a treat. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. So if you could, maybe, Ryan, just introduce yourself a little bit. What would you like for us to know about you? A little bit about your podcast, perhaps, whatever you'd yeah. like to share. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my wife, Selena, who, who regrets she's not able to, to join today, uh, she's, she's uh, taking care of the kiddos today. Well, she does that every day, but today they're doing school. Uh, uh, we do homeschool. Anyway, we started this. Uh, it's really, it's a, it's a ministry. So uh, it's called Fierce Marriage about uh, nine years ago. And so to give some context, we've been married going on uh, 18 years now. Uh, we're in our 18th year of marriage. We got married fairly young and uh, we started this uh, as just kind of a side blog thing. We just realized that we, in our 10th year of marriage, we had uh, seen a lot of our friends, unfortunately. I know you talk a lot about divorce rates and things like that. Well, a lot of our friends had gotten divorced. And in some cases, in the time that we'd been married, they've gotten ma- married and divorced two times. And so we looked at ourselves and just thought, what, what is different about why are we still together? Why are we still best friends? And why are we still looking at a bright future? And why can't our friends and what's the difference? And so in asking that question, it really just uh, stirred in us a, a desire to see marriages flourish, but namely the reason and the only credit, uh, we can't really take credit for our own marriage because our faith is such a big part of it. And so that's all of fierce marriages is, is built around our faith, which is a Christian faith. And we, we honestly, we just talk a lot about uh, the gospel and what that means. And if uh, I know some of your listeners may not know what that means, but uh, we, we talk about that at length and uh, draw lines from the hope that we have in the person and work of Jesus uh, to how it can actually help us. So the hope we have in Jesus and the help that he provides here and now in our lives here and now. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, we've been at this marriage uh, I, I guess we, we have our podcast. We've been doing that for about four years. And uh, yeah, I know that's probably more than you asked for. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, super. It's going to be interesting to hear your perspective because the last two couples I interviewed, um, one of them had only been married for six months. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was a really interesting lady. Um, she was born without legs. Wow. Yeah. Met her partner in Austria. So they had this amazing story. Um, and then the next couple I interviewed, they were part of an arranged marriage on a reality TV show called Married at First Sight. Yes, I listened to that. I listened to the first part of that episode. And I was like, yeah, that is, and they, they're going on six years, right? Yeah, six I think years. They're on six years. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's a real wild story. Yeah. Um, okay, good. So the, the first question here for you, Ryan, is what's the history of your marriage? Yeah, yeah, that's it's funny because uh, to contrast with the uh, the arranged marriage at first sight thing, uh, I would say that uh, I actually I, I'm not a big believer in kind of the cultural you know pop cultural idea of love at first sight. I think love is is an action more than it is an emotion, or and emotions come, but actions are the substance of love. 
But still, I think when I saw my wife for the first time, she was actually in a gymnasium. We were, I was actually not even in ninth grade yet. I was visiting the school that she was attending. My mom was going to be an administrator. She was interviewing for the job. So I went, it was a private Christian school and uh, she was there and she was playing basketball or something. And I just, my heart dropped through the soles of my shoes, man. I, I was like, who is this? this be- behold, this, this beauty before me. Anyway, I didn't talk to her for two years. Uh, and so eventually, obviously I went, I ended up going to the school and uh, she was way out of my league. I think she still is, but she, she basically was nice, nice enough, but, but we just, our circles did not commingle. Right. Until I think two years into high school, she started noticing me and we were in the same class and we started dating but real young uh, after 10th grade in the summer between we started dating real young. We dated for two years, high school and two years in college. And I realized that uh, this is, this is the one why waste time. So I actually sold my car. I had gotten a car as a gift. Actually, no, I bought it from my uncle. I sold it back to him and bought a wedding ring um, or an engagement ring. And then gave I asked up, gave up a car for the ring. <laughs> yeah, well, I was in college. So, you know, I didn't really need it anyway. Okay. Uh, but, swap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And she was at a different college. I was at, I was in Seattle. She was North of Seattle and anyway, we got engaged. Uh, and then we got married. I was 20 when we got, when we got married. And so there was four years of ramp up as a kind of wow. contrast with the marriage at first sight. Well, we were already best friends and that's why we started dating. Wow. And when we started dating, it was with the intent to marry. And so, uh, got married and, uh, yeah, we're going on 18 years of marriage. Um, and uh, it just, I can honestly say this, that it's, it just keeps getting better. Love wow. it more. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's rare to hear of couples getting married so young these days. It's, it is. It's more an abnormal. It's abnormal to hear it. Right. Um, my wife and I are similar. We are just about two years older than you guys. So we started dating when I was a sophomore in college and she was a freshman okay. in college at CU Boulder, the University of yeah. Colorado. And then we dated all through college. So we dated for like four years. And then once we both graduated, we got married. Yeah. Um, but we were, also awesome. young. we were young. So I was 23 and she was 21. Yeah, we had a, it was unique because we know we were young, but I just, my dad growing up, I think my parents had painted a pretty healthy picture of marriage. And so I, I was very optimistic. I didn't know, you know, marriage is hard. It takes work. Everybody knows it. Um, but we had this kind of attitude of adventure when we headed into it. So a lot of couples feel like they have to kind of have their ducks in a row before they can commit. And our, our approach was almost the opposite of that. We, we, we figured let's, let's figure out the ducks together and let's do that together and it'll be great. And we'll probably fail. And we, when we hope to succeed more than we fail, but it was, yeah, it was an adventure. It still, it continues to be. So. Sure, sure. Good. Okay. Question number two, what is some of the best advice you've been given about marriage? Hmm. <laughs> oh man, so much. Uh, again, going back to our faith and it's so hard to detach and I can't, and that's why our, our fierce marriage thing is all about this is because we, so for us, again, being in our, in our, our worldview, our faith, it's keeping Christ at the center. And so what that looks like for us just to make it, uh, it to take away the kind of Christian ease from it is just to understand what love is, like really understand what love is, understand what a promise of the, the covenant of marriage, what that is. And if we understand those two foundational things, uh, we found that the beliefs uh, and truly the, the, the underlying truths that define what love is, they really do inform the behaviors that overflow from that, right? So if we think that love is uh, that love is just about getting what we can or experiencing a certain, you know, serotonin levels or, you know, emotion 
levels, then as soon as that goes away, then we start to question love itself. But if we understand love as a, as a body of actions, uh, uh, a principled decision, and understanding that emotions are good and they come and go, but they're not the substance of love, then uh, our whole, our whole uh, framework changes for how we uh, approach communication, how we approach intimacy, how we approach even managing our money, how we approach uh, the uh, division of labor in the home, right? So love serves, love serves the other person, it seeks the other person before it seeks, it seeks selfish gain. And so uh, long answer to your question, but the, the best piece of advice that someone gave me was just to keep Christ at the center of it. And what that meant by that was understand what love is and understand how loved you are, uh, in Christ. And therefore you can live out of that love you experienced. And so that that's been the glue and it continues to be the, the glue that keeps us together. And God knows we would be divorced 10 times over if it weren't for uh, that constant reminder in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the covenant concept of marriage. Um, mm. One thing I talk about in my podcast and elsewhere is the contrast between a covenant and a contract marriage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where, where, you know, the contract is I'm, I'm committed to you as long as I'm in love and as mm-hmm. long as my needs are met and the moment mm-hmm. that doesn't happen, divorce is a viable option. And that's the majority, mm-hmm. you know, marriage is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reasons you hear for divorce. Like I just wasn't in love anymore right. being met. And that's not to say that being in love or having your needs met aren't important because they mm-hmm. are very important. Right. Um, however, the covenant, the covenant in contrast is more this long term. I'm in it for the long mm-hmm. haul, despite going through seasons of winter. Um, despite having my needs not met at times, despite not feeling in love at times, maybe long mm. periods of time. Um, but during those times when we dig in deeper and we work harder, yes. um, because through that, there's so many benefits to the covenant. One being increased security in the relationship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As security goes up, our vulnerability goes up, which leads yeah. to greater emotional and physical intimacy. Yeah. Um, and the opportunity for refinement. Because if you're in this long-term covenant approach, you're going to be able to get feedback from your partner on your blind spots. Yes. And if you can view that as opportunities to grow, um, mm-hmm. you can become a better person, which makes you a better partner. Um, mm-hmm. In contrast, when people are jumping from relationship to relationship, mm-hmm. they just bring that baggage with them. And yeah. they're gonna, they, they short circuit the opportunity to become mm-hmm. refined. Yeah. Now that view of, I mean, that's such a huge distinction, contracting covenant, and you see it in the re- repeated divorce rates, like the, d- d- uh, people who have been previously divorced are like however many, like three or four times more likely to divorce again. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more complexity to that, but I think underlying all that complexity has to do with their view of love. That love sh- is is a is a contract. As soon as this relationship stops benefiting me, the net benefit is is negative. Then I need to find a way out and to find a better path. And I love how you said that. And that gives covenant really gives you the way we picture it is it's like an arena. You've decided to stay in this arena and the battle happens in that arena, but the, the, it keeps you, it's that, that place of security where you can work out what it means to love each other, where you can have those hard conversations, knowing that if I, if I admit something or I say something, you're not just going to bail on me. We can actually work through it. Just like you said. So that's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like the gladiator arena. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I picture. My wife pictures something else, but yeah. <laughs> Getting devoured by a lion. Um, all right. Number three, what are some bad habits to watch out for in marriage? Yeah, that's good. That's good. So many, uh, so many. Uh, selfishness and pride, I think, are 
themes that we see in couples in in the couples that write into us and listen to us uh, is that usually it's 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 every issue that every habit that they that ends up eroding their marriage is usually some symptom of selfishness and pride. Now the question is it always begs the question: What do we do and if, we, if we know that we're selfish people? We know that we're prideful, which I know we all are human. We have that tendency, right? We have that tendency to be self-serving. Uh, we, so we've talked about this recently in our podcast, and if you don't mind, I'll just expand on it here, but we've, uh, this idea of what brings about, uh, uh, unrest in a society, bear with me here in a society and in, in a smaller kind of a microcosm in a, in a family relationship, in a marriage. And there's all kinds of sociologists and uh, anthropologists who have done these studies and they can actually predict these, these, these events to an extent. And what they said is every Every um, kind of war, like every civil war, again, bear with me, I think civil in terms of in, in a civil, in a marriage, uh, every civil war is usually the culmination of a uh, structural, um, kind of a structural trend that is trending in, in some negative way, uh, and then fueled and sparked by a triggering event. Okay, so if you think about in a marriage context, and I, I love this analogy, is, is uh, if you think about your marriage as a forest, any forest that that catches, and you're you're in Colorado, so you probably understand the forest analogy. I'm in the Northwest, so it's 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 alive and well for me as well. But if you think of a forest fire, what causes a forest fire is usually there's a an amount a, a high amount of tender, unhealthy logs populating that forest. Usually the, the forest has not been managed well. I used to work for the Department of Natural Resources. That was part of my job was making sure that the foresters had what they needed. And so if they're if they're not taking care of sick trees, pulling that stuff out of there over time there's all this tinder and it's dry wood. It's just collecting. And so, so often if they don't clean it out, it's just a matter of taking a lightning strike or a, or a stray, you know, spark from an engine or cigarette, butt, whatever. And it's that, that's the triggering event. And all of a sudden you have this, you know, 500,000 acres up, uh, up in flames. And so in marriage, a lot of times that's what happens. We have selfishness and pride that, uh, that are fueling bad habits and, uh, and those bad habits, if they aren't dealt with, you end up having all this kind of tinder gathering in your relationship until finally some cataclysmic or some triggering event happens, whether it's a financial hardship or it's some sort of fight or it's some sort of transgression where, you know, uh, there's a trust that's breached. That's the, the triggering event. And all of a sudden, everything that was just there is now ablaze. And so what we encourage couples to do is to keep those the that tinder cleaned up. And there's, I won't get into it, but that we there's five things that we encourage couples to say to each other every day. And these are in contrast to the bad, I'd say bad habits are not doing these things. The good habits are these things. Is it tell them you love them? That sounds basic, but again, our definition of love matters. Uh, tell them that you appreciate them and you see them, you appreciate who they are, what they're going through and the contribution they make into your life and the, the life of your family. Uh, remind them you won't give up on them. That's the covenant piece. You're secure with me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to give up on you, especially if it's a hard time. Uh, and then this is the last two are, are uh, huge. It's apologize. Say you're sorry as often and quickly and as often as needed, and then be fast to forgive. So I'm sorry, I forgive you. And those five questions we found really do kind of keep that tinder at bay. It keeps your forest clean. So when those spark, those uh, triggering events happen, you're not just throwing everything out the window. Now you actually, they, they amount to very little if you're keeping the maintenance of those, those positive habits up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's such a great analogy, the tinder in a forest. <laughs> that can be applied in so many areas in marriage where there's unrest or resentments building yes. or 
you know, problems kind of brewing. And, and that's one reason I feel that divorce rates have increased mm. during the pandemic um, because, you know, couples had so many things going on under the surface and then the pandemic hit and mm. you can't, can't hide from them anymore. Now you're with your partner 24 seven, you can't escape to travel or right. sports or these things that perhaps were distractions in the past yes. to help you cope with the unhappy marriage you were in. Mm-hmm. But just like the increased pressure and stress of the world is pushing down on marriages. So if there was any cracks that were there beforehand, mm-hmm. now they're exposed. Right. Right. So good. You can't hide anymore when, when everything's shut down, right? You can't be distracted. <laughs> Much <Yeah>. harder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's see. Number four. So what's one of the toughest things you faced in your marriage and what lesson did you learn? Mm, man, uh, I'll, I'll, we talk about this a lot in our books that we've written, um, so I'll make it really short. Um, but when we were, so I mentioned we got married in college. We actually graduated um, and we were in our, we were one and a half years in. And I didn't realize it, uh, but I was going really hard. As we finished college, I was, I think I was working full time. I was volunteering, uh, I think probably 25, 30 hours a week. And then I was going to college full time and trying to be, you know, kind of a, a relative newlywed. Wow. And I, I, I think during finals week, I ended up being up for three days straight. And it was really unhealthy, really bad diet, working way too much. Uh, Selena found a job overseas. Um, I'll make this really short, but she found a job overseas in Switzerland training horses, um, but also as an au pair for the Swiss family. It paid nothing, but we thought, listen, we had, we we're just out of college. We graduated. Let's go over there. Well, I'd gotten sick because I, was, I, I had been uh, working too hard. My immune system was just tanked. So right after college, I had been coughing, kind of feeling a little bit of fever, but I was just powering, powering through it with caffeine and Tylenol, right? And uh, we ended up in Switzerland like a month later, and when we landed, it was like the dam broke and whatever was there just completely flooded my system. And uh, we didn't know what was going on. And so we, uh, I, I, I went to a local clinic. Uh, they gave me some more painkillers and some uh, antibiotics. Took them, got to work. Uh, that worked for a few weeks and then perfect storm happened and the, the whole thing came back. I ended up running out of medicine over a Swiss holiday. Couldn't get more. And it was, I, I don't say this in a hyperbolic way, but I really think I was on my deathbed at that point. Well, come to, come to realize I had an infection. I didn't realize it, um, but I had an infection in my heart valve that uh, because I have a congenital heart defect. And so at one point we went into the, when they finally found out what was wrong, it took all these different doctors coming in. It was so weird because I was like 22 years old and in Switzerland, this American kid. And uh, they said, he goes, uh, we need to get you over to the hospital. I was in a little clinic. He said, we need to get you to the, the, the Zurich hospital. And I looked at him. I said, how much is that going to cost? And he looked at me and he goes, well, it's either that or your life. Like, Whoa. Anyway, long story short, ended up having heart surgery a week later, open heart surgery in Switzerland, writing letters to uh, my wife, my brother, my dad, my, my best friends saying, hey, if I don't make it, like take care of my wife. Uh, here's, you know, it's, it was heavy stuff, right? And, if, and you're not yeah. even two years married. Uh so that was a trial. Obviously, I survived, spent five weeks as an inpatient in Zurich, came home. Well, I was really bitter after that, really bitter. So it had taken its physical toll, but the emotional toll, kind of the fallout was still coming. And the anesthesia messed with my, my memories, my head, my emotions. And I was just a huge jerk to my wife and had a lot of all these kind of bitterness toward God, toward, you know, why, why me? You know, what, what did I do to deserve this? Had to kind of hash all those questions. And the whole, whole time, Selena, my wife, she's just by my side, just, but 
you know, bearing, bearing it and gritting your teeth, but saying, I'm here, this, we're going to make it through this. Uh, and I'd say that was probably among, I'd say in our top five most difficult things we face as a couple. Now, um, thankfully we've never, we've not had any significant, um, struggles that were, uh, I think, I'll, I'll say this carefully. We're not perfect, but we haven't had any breaches of big breaches of trust, you know? And so we haven't had anything like that, but I would put this up there in terms of, uh, she, I think I broke her trust and I wasn't loving toward her and she still hung out with me and, and we were able to work through it. I'm stronger for it. But yeah, that was, gosh, that was, that would have been 15 years ago now, which is crazy to think, but yeah. Wow. What lessons do you feel like you learned from that experience? Again, I go back to that definition of love. I hear this woman stood by me when I was just completely undeserving of, of her patience, of her, of her, she was very, and, and selflessness in that. And, um, and uh, she would never remind me, me of it, but I remind myself enough of, of what she's endured on my behalf. And I try to try to pay it forward or pay it back to her, even though, you know, uh, covenant would say you pay it back anyway, but there you go. Man, that sounds traumatic. Being so <laughs> young and then... I- <laughs> Did you know you had a heart problem before this infection started? That was, we had no idea. No idea. Okay. And now so, it's like, you know, I have to, every time I go in for a, an appointment, I have to tell them and I have to take all this, you know, dentist appointments, everything got to take, you know, medicine sure. for it. And so. Sure. So did crazy. the infection cause the heart issue or was the heart issue already pre-existing? Uh, so I had a, con- I, I have a congenital heart defect. So one of my, my mitral valve is actually, uh, it's uh, rougher tissue than it should be. And so what had happened is bacteria was able to get in there when my immune system was compromised and started actually growing and eating away at my mitral valve. There was like a two and a half centimeter, uh, like a flap of bacteria basically and infecting my whole system. So uh, to answer your question, it was a congenital thing brought on by kind of a perfect storm of my immune system being compromised and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. All right. Final question. So what final pearl of wisdom would you like to share with other couples? Mm. Man. Okay. So the, the quick talking point is, and I I mentioned earlier, but, um, and I think this is so huge to fighting fast. So, uh, being quick to apologize fast to forgive, uh, a lot of couples will double down when they fight. Uh, and I'm saying that, uh, that's usually, that's usually not very fruitful in a, in a, in a marriage. So I think the quicker you can apologize, recognize your own fault in it, uh, instead of getting defensive. Uh, but that does, and I would be remiss if I didn't at least, uh, mention it is it, it always does kind of root down to your worldview and what you view about, you know, right and wrong. What is love? Who are you? Uh, and obviously work from a Christian worldview, who is God? Who does he say I am? Who does he say you are? How does that, how does that inform how I view myself, how I view you? I'm not perfect. Like that's a, that's a reality we have to come to grips with. I'm not perfect. And so uh, it's a lot easier to admit that you are, Oh, there, here comes the, here comes the, sec- the second daughter right here. Here comes your troops. Yep. It's a lot easier to admit uh, that to apologize when you realize that your default is not perfect. And I think that's, that's a healthy thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That that's uh, something similar that I teach on, which I call owning your brokenness. Yeah. Um, and That's there's good. something specific with that I teach on called the 50% rule. So whenever you get a complaint from your partner to try to search for the 50% give or take mm. of truth in the yeah. comment, the complaint you're receiving. Um, Cause a lot That's of times good. it may not be hundred percent accurate cause they may be projected onto you somewhat and you may mm. have had some valid reasons for what you did, but you probably also can't say it's 0% your fault. What right. you know, the complaint they're saying. So to always search for that kernel of truth. That's good. That's good, man. I'm going to, I'm going to tell that to my wife. We might, yeah. <laughs> might mention that on the podcast here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Good. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you for answering these questions and yeah. for your time. But before we sign off, um, is there any products or anything you, you want to um, yeah. plug and let my listeners know about? Yeah, I think the clearest one is just find the the Fierce Marriage podcast uh, wherever you're listening to this. We're probably there um, in iTunes and places like that. Uh, we can, or you can go to FierceMarriage.com. We've got all kinds of books and resources and um, and find us on socials. But yeah, Fierce Marriage, we're everywhere you need to find us, hopefully. <laughs> Super. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great. Thank you for listening to the Marriage Steps podcast. If you enjoyed the episode today, be sure to click the five stars, leave a review and share it with your family and friends. For more marriage resources, be sure to go to my website, drwyattfisher.com. And if this podcast has made an impact on your relationship, I would love to interview you because your story will inspire countless others. And remember, your marriage is alive. So if you care for it and nurture it, it will grow. But if you deprive it and neglect it, it will wilt and die. The choice is up to you. Take care.